Some of you, uh, if you've been around for the last summer in particular, will remember if you were there that day, that last summer, I shared a letter and I read some excerpts from a letter written by a Chinese pastor named Wang Yi, who uh, had written this letter prior to his arrest in 2018. It, had, it was republished because he had been sentenced in December of 2019 to nine years in prison. Now, based on, the context was based on a pattern of persecution by the, and, and communist aggression. Wang Yi knew that he was going to be arrested and an attempt was going to be made to stamp out the church in his city, Chengdu, which has like three million people. It's a large city, bigger than Idaho. As a former lawyer, Wang Yi knew the tactics that would be used. And so knowing that he was going to be falsely arrested, falsely tried, falsely imprisoned, he wrote a letter publicly declaring his love for China, his love for communists. So knowing that he was going to be slandered and lies said about him, about undermining the state, he said publicly how much he loved the communist leaders, but that he owed ultimate love and obedience to Jesus, who's the everlasting king. That letter, that letter and then what followed is a ringing testimony. It just shouts about strength through weakness and complete faith in the power of God to vindicate to vindicate, to declare right standing for his beloved children. Well, what I didn't say at the time was along with Wang Yi, a hundred other members of that church, leaders, were arrested, especially leaders. These were people whose roles kept the church functioning, like children's teachers. Teach, teachers of children were arrested. Bible study leaders, prayer group leaders, people that organized activities, arrested. And against their own laws, communist laws, uh, the laws on the books, the communist leadership confiscated all church property. And, he kept, and kept those leaders imprisoned without any formal charge, just imprisoned. Most of them were eventually arrested uh, but they have remained under constant surveillance since 2018. It seems like Satan's recipe for destruction, right? Steal, kill, destroy. All the power appears to be in government hands. We've got this just weak church with nothing. So what has happened over the last three years? That is interesting. It has been, as Wang Yi clearly stated in that letter, all the hideous, this is him, all the hideous realities, unrighteous politics, and arbitrary laws manifest the fact that true hope and a perfect society will never be found in the transformation 
of any earthly institution or culture, but only in our sins being freely forgiven by Christ and in the hope of eternal life. The goal of disobedience is not to change the world, but to testify about another world. For the mission of this church is only to be the church and not to become a part of any secular institution. From a negative perspective, the church must separate itself from the world and keep itself from being institutionalized by the world. From a positive perspective, all acts of the church are attempts to prove to the world the real existence of another world. So what's happened in those three years is that. As the members of the early reign Presbyterian church, and it's like a diocese, it's, it's a network of small churches in Chengdu, they've committed their lives to the values of another world, the values of the kingdom of Jesus, the everlasting kingdom, and as they've done so, they have testified to it, as he said, and they've proven its existence. They've proven that they can live by the values and the power of a world that can't be seen. Everything taken away from them, and yet they live. And since Wang Yi's arrest and the shutdown of the church, the church has grown. How? All those former leaders are still under constant surveillance. So what did the Lord do? He grew up new leaders. New leaders stepped up. One says, come to our apartment. Gather here. Another one says, I'll lead a Bible study. I, I can open the Bible and read it. One says, I'll teach the kids what I know about Jesus. Another, I'll go and pray for the sick. Everyone leading that church now was not leading it three years ago. Those, those leaders currently describe this very quietly, the growth, the increase as tremendous in numbers. At minimum, the church doubling in new believers. So... Lest we read the letter of Jesus to the church of Smyrna as something just from the past, just belonging to history, the church of Chengdu calls out to us, no, 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 God's word is living. This is a living word, and he spoke that message to us, and we have heeded him. That's what they say. That's what they say to us. What was that message to Smyrna? Let's open. We're, we're in chapter 2 of Revelation. The second church. The message. It was the word. Fear not. Your life is in my hands. Let's look closely. Let's consider. What, what do we also need to heed now? And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. 
The exalted Lord and King says this of himself. He addresses the church of Smyrna, but first by pulling their attentions to him as everlasting. So who he is will reorient them. He's beyond the scope of earthly life. He was before the beginning of the world. He was. And he will be after its dissolution. He's beyond and he's bigger than the span of a human life. He died and came to life. So his realm is eternal. His realm is unending. And so that means his message to them, what he, the message to follow, he's gesturing wide. He's giving them perspective. Our tendency is to live just right here, particularly in the midst of our miseries. And he says, look wide. That's my realm. And that's your realm. They needed this perspective. We can see. Jesus then says, I know your tribulation or suffering and your poverty and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. What is this, what's this church experiencing? Well, according to uh, an earthly assessment, this is a weak group of people. They've been marginalized. They're in poverty. As uh, I explained last week, we talked about the presence of an active Jewish synagogue uh, in these Greek colonial cities there at the end of the first century. It meant that slander was being actively cast on Christ's followers. So those who had rejected Jesus as Messiah and had hardened in that position, they sought to bring government attention to this sect, to this group of people, these Christ followers, and show them as troublemakers, as disruptors of Roman society. They're disorderly. They're going to ruin the Roman family, the Roman household. And so because they've set themselves against the redeeming work of Jesus. Jesus calls this group no longer the people of God. They call themselves Jews, but they are no longer the people of God. They have become an assembly belonging to Satan, belonging to Satan because they've become captive to do his will. They've set themselves against the redeeming work of Jesus. And, th and they've taken on the voice of accusation. And that is the voice that belongs to Satan. Accusation, condemnation against the work of Jesus. And so this people who had been the chosen people of God have set themselves against him. They've sided with Satan. And it's, they are stirring up they're stirring up this, the Roman society for the destruction of this people. Well, this kind Lord Jesus wants his people of Smyrna, 
right from the beginning, he wants them to know that he sees all that. He sees it. Kids, this is what I was saying. This whole people, you could possibly imagine your family, your, your household, your family, and your friends who are Christians in this congregation have become targeted, our property confiscated, um, our, the parents unable to do business except with each other, unable even to buy crops, buy produce, except from each other. And Jesus wants them to know he sees. He sees. He sees and he knows, and he declares he is on their side. He's on their side. Those who attack you are attacking me. If they attack you, they're attacking me. That is an encouraging word, right? Right? Uh, I have found this so frequently, both in university settings, even in the larger church setting through the years. I found myself being slandered for holding and defending positions that God has stated. These aren't things I've thought up on my own or that I think, oh, this is the better way of life. Just holding positions that God has said are his ways. And, and yes, I have often felt the unpleasantness of the sting of, those, of words, sneering words. That, that one gets me because I tend towards pride. So when, when there's a belittling comment or sneering, that hurts. Or condemnation. In those moments, it is such a comfort to know that Jesus sees and he knows. So if you find yourself... Similarly, losing advantages, being ignored, being cut off by people that, whose opinions you have valued because someone knows that you hold the ethics of Jesus. And that's it. You, I hold the, you, you hold the ethics of Jesus. Not some political ethic, just the ethic of Jesus. And that is the cause for your rejection. Take comfort. The king, the Lord, wants you to know that he sees it all. And he says, well done. Well done for aligning with him. Well done. So as he indicated to Smyrna, those who hate you... They hate you for this. I mean, there's not an excuse for you being a jerk. But those who hate you for loving the ways of Jesus are setting themselves against him. That's, that's what he communicates to us. And another perspective shift, he says to them. You feel beaten down and weak because of suffering and poverty. You feel loss. You feel the loss of opportunity to those in Smyrna. You feel actual poverty, hunger in your belly, worry for your kids. 
But the Lord says to them, oh, oh no, oh no. I know you feel that, but oh no, you are rich. You're rich with your dirt floor. You're rich eating old vegetables. You're rich in the accounts of the everlasting kingdom. In the book that the Lord keeps, that's secure with him in the heavenly realms. In that book, you are rich and you are growing wealthy. What a perspective shift, right? How can I be rich when I have nothing? Suffering and slander for the sake of Jesus' name is enriching in character now. It's enriching in soul, in the transformation of soul, building strength, and in the rewards of eternity. There will be rewards given. And those are rewards that just keep on going, that last forever, not the, like the stuff that's dust. And that's the set of the first set of consolations that he gives. I see I'm on your side and you are rich towards life. But then he gets frank. That's the way of Jesus. He doesn't skirt the truth. He is the truth. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Just like Jesus gave that warning to Wang Yi, to the church in Chengdu, he prepared the hearts of the church of Smyrna for the suffering, before the suffering. You are going to suffer more. What you're experiencing now is a prelude. It's going to get worse. And be certain, he says, that this is the work of the devil. Satan is involved here. Sure, he's going to use human agents. He's going to use the Roman authorities. He's going to use the accusations of the Jews. He's going to use the Communist Party. He's going to use the Muslim Sharia law. He's going to use the dictator. He's going to use human agents. But the work here is the devil. Behind the hostility is the undying hate of evil powers. And they have sought, they have sought, they've sought to steal and suppress. But the pattern of evil, it's a pattern throughout history. You can bank on it. The pattern is steal, suppress, discourage, and failing that, kill. When the powers of evil go, grow frustrated, they kill. Well, commentators from the church fathers all the way back to the second century, uh, they've connected this message, this letter to Smyrna, uh, with a violent persecution that began with Emperor Trajan and through his rule to the rule of Adrian. And that's 10 years. So they... It's the idea of a symbolic time. It's the principle that 10 days or 10 times represents 10 years. 
Was that, that was how Daniel's apocalypse was understood and worked out. So 10 days of tribulation represents 10 years of violent trial. Another explanation, that one's fine. I, I think that could work, truly. Another explanation is that 10 days uh, represents brevity. 10 is a... It, it's not a, the, the complete number. When 10 is used frequently, it's a symbolic shorthand for a relatively short period of time. So, and that's the effect of the words. I, I lean towards this because th that's the effect of the words in the letter. Is This is trial. It's going to be relatively brief so that the, the recipients can say, we can endure that. We can endure that. Now, maybe it did work out to 10 years, but the effect of the words is 10 days. We can endure. Well, whatever the actual length of the suffering, it was certain to be serious. Jesus is frank about this. Some will be imprisoned. Some will be killed. Jesus says, be faithful unto death. Be faithful unto death and you'll receive the crown of life. Be faithful unto death is a looming reality. Some of you leaders in particular are likely to die. Some of you children's teachers are likely to die. What a remarkable thing. Some of you who teach children are likely to be jailed because you're teaching the ways of Jesus. You who rent the building on behalf of the church, you are likely to be imprisoned, he says to them. You who host Bible readings, you may be killed. But Jesus then, he gives them again that new perspective, the renewed mindset that they're to have. As you go into it, the renewed mindset, you are everlasting. This is temporary. You are everlasting. This is a testing, a trial. Satan can do his worst. Satan will do his worst. But you and whatever he does will resound to the glory of God. And even this misery will turn out for your good. Are you going to be imprisoned? Are you killed? you get the crown of life from this perspective to this one you get the crown of life this is the laurel wreath of victory that paul describes when he said i have fought the good fight i've finished the race just before his head's cut off i have kept the faith i've kept the faith and now there is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all, us, all who have longed for his glorious appearing. There, there, there waits for me a crown of righteousness, and that crown is for all who have loved his glorious appearing. This is both 
the welcoming embrace of the Lord after we cross that finish line, after we move into the everlasting realms, into the joy of our king and his declaration, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Come, come here. Come here. It's also the astonishing strangeness of the kingdom of God. The king, this is strange, right? Some of you will lose the most precious thing that we have, breath and life. It's the most precious thing that this realm can... It's, it's the most precious thing that we can have. Some of you are going to lose that. Some of you will die. But to live, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Even better than this. So this strangeness is don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer, he says. Because you cannot lose. No matter what, you cannot lose. I have you. I have you. And so he concludes, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Everyone must die once. But the people who have God's Spirit in them, the people who have the crown of life waiting for them cannot be hurt by the second death. Judgment. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's only life. There's only joy. There's only peace. The presence of God. How vital is that message? How vital? How vital has it been down through the years? For those living in the face of oppression, regimes like the Communist Party, like a cruel dictator, like a Muslim society, in raw numbers, there are more Christians today living in that situation than in ours. More Christians living under oppressive regimes than those who are free to worship and free to read our Bibles in public without any kind of hindrance. We are in the minority. So we have to ask, how effective has Satan's strategy been with us in the West? Western Christians. <laughs> this is so strange. Not fearing murder... We desperately fear death. Not suffering poverty. Dire poverty. We fear the loss of our money. And we cling to it like nobody else. Strange. With perfect freedom to visit with our Christian friends. Fellowship. Around the Bible. Perfect freedom to get together even in a public place and open the Bible. How seldom we do so and prefer YouTube and Netflix. Ours. This is Satan's strategy with us. And we have to name it as such. 
This is Satan's strategy. Distract, allure, confuse. Distract, allure, confuse. Seduce, distract, captivate. We have a real enemy. So what I, I am not at all wagging my finger at you. I'm not saying you just need to do better. I'm not saying that at all. I am just drawing attention to our enemy and the very successful strategy that is in place in the West and has been very successful. We are suffering a long, steady onslaught. And it's the strong delusion that the perishing things of this world can save, can give joy, can give life. The truth that saved the Ephesians, the truth that saved the Smyrnans, is the same truth that will save us. Life is in Jesus. It's nowhere else. Life is in Jesus. Isaiah 55 invites us, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that the Lord may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Do you hear the invitation? I conclude, the good things of God are laid up for us. The good things of God are laid up for us. Let's, let's let the testimony of the suffering church hit home. Wake us up to what is everlasting. The, the jarring call is given to them but the same, it's the same call is for us. We have the same horizon, everlasting life. Having nothing, they find that they have everything. So let's, let's consider what we really do have. And we do that best by saying thank you. Let's thank the Lord for what we have. And I, I will not say to you today, just do better. There's no gospel there. <laughs> say thank you. The gospel's already fixed. It's fixed. You have the favor of God. Oh, yes. You don't have to just do better. You have it. Let's say thank you and then see what happens. Say thank you to our gracious God for every good thing that he's given us. And life will flow.